Welcome to the Parents at Work podcast, a podcast for parents who want to succeed at work while also raising children. My name is Lori Mahalik-Levin, and I'm a healthcare lawyer, a founder of a program called Mindful Return that helps employers retain their new parent top talent, and I'm mama to two wonderful redheaded boys. I am joined today by my co-host and my amazing husband, Jason Levin. Hi, Jason. Hi, Lori. I am Lori Mahalik-Levin's husband, and I founded Ready, Set, Launch LLC 10 years ago, where I help executives make career and retirement transitions, get the promotion, and grow their professional services practice. So if you've been following along with the Parents at Work podcast, you know that we choose a different industry or sector or profession to focus on. And we talk to moms and dads in that industry. And today we are focusing on moms in fundraising. So fundraising professionals. And we have two amazing guests who are going to be joining us today. The first is Pradnya Haldapur, and we're very excited to have her here. She's the vice president of development at code.org, leading fundraising and philanthropic strategy for them. Pradnya has more than 24 years of development and management experience in national and international settings, and she came to Code.org with experience from prestigious academic medical institutions, such as Children's National in D.C., Mount Sinai in New York, and Boston Children's Hospital, as well as think tanks, global development orgs, and the arts. Over the course of her career, she has raised an impressive more than $145 million dollars to support research, capital projects, endowment operations, and programmatic projects. She was born in Mumbai, India, but grew up in the great state of New Jersey, where Jason also grew up. Amen. And she resides in Silver Spring, Maryland, with her husband, Joe Clemens, their children, Mirza Kate, who is eight years old, and Xavier Anat, who is age six. And they are apparently avid Code.org users. I look forward to hearing more about that. In addition, we have Tara Barnes, who is the Senior Director of Plan Giving at American University in Washington, D.C. In this capacity, she helps donors structure gift arrangements that create a meaningful legacy at the university and positive change in the world. She has over 20 years of experience in nonprofit fundraising with a focus on major gifts and plan giving, and she has served in development positions in the arts and public media as well as higher education. Kara is a proud Midwesterner, and lives in Washington, D.C. with her husband, Dave, and her son, Lewis, and her son, Lewis, last night, who also is with our son, an amazing baseball player. And last night, Lewis had an amazing uh, pitching outing that uh, helped win their game. So (laughs) It was a fun night. (laughs) It was a fun night, indeed. So we're so excited to have you both here with us. Obviously, very distinguished careers and um, working moms to boot. So I would love to start with just the basic question to get a little bit more of your own story out. Pranya, what is your own personal working parent story? First of all, I just want to say I'm so excited to be here and to be sharing the stage, the metaphorical stage with Kara and talking about this topic because, you know, we've both chosen mission-based careers and still there's always a, a tension, right, of as you've experienced, I'm sure, with all of your guests about being a mom, taking care of things on the home front and moving the mission forward at work. And so for me, you know, I was actually in fundraising for a long time before I had kids. I had them later in life. And so I spend a lot of time talking to my kids about what I do at work, why I do it, and why it's important. 
you know, what is it that's taking mommy away mm-hmm. to other places? Or why is mommy having another meeting <laughs> at 7 p.m. with a foreign country? So, you know, I, I, I try very hard to, to make it clear to them that what mommy does is mission-based. Absolutely. And, and you had said that they are avid code.org users. So clearly they have a window into your world in that regard as well. They do. Although I'll tell you, honestly, you know, for them, they take these things for granted. The fact that code.org is part of their learning, part of the school system that they attend in Montgomery County, that's just a given for them. They get far more excited about hearing about some of the partnerships that I get to work on with code.org and thinking about giving other kids access Mm. to that same opportunity to learn computer science, to learn coding. That's what I mean by mission-based is, is helping my kids think about who else is being helped in the world. Sure. Absolutely. Thanks, Pranya. And Kara, how about you? Can you tell us about your personal working parent story? Sure. And just to echo Pranya, thank you so much for having me be part of this conversation. And it's delightful to get to know another colleague in the field of fundraising. So, and I love Pranya that you, that you led with it, this, the fact that our work is mission-based. And I think that has been definitely a, a core part of my family life. I think about uh, in the 10 years that Lewis has been on the scene and I've been working in fundraising that you know my love for the work, my passion for the work is deeply integrated into our family life. You know, so much so that when I worked at a performing arts center, when I first had Lewis, he was regularly in attendance at uh, the theater for the very young performances. And now that I'm working at American University, uh, Dave Lewis and I were regularly on campus attending athletic events, going to pan- even panel discussions in the School of International Service. You know, it's just the work itself is deeply integrated into my family life, which is usually a, a great blessing. And I think there's a wonderful awareness that Lewis has about the value of mission-based organizations, the value of nonprofits in its their ability to change the world and change people's lives. Uh, sometimes that being in a mission-based organization, it can, the devotion to it can blur your, definitely your boundaries in terms mm-hmm. of commitment to the work and uh, while still being committed to family life. So it's a double-edged short sword for sure working for an organization which you have such passion for, the mission. Yeah, absolutely. Kara, can we stay on the boundaries topic for a minute and maybe share a little bit about how you've navigated, um, you know, as a working parent, I can say that I have both successfully and very much unsuccessfully <laughs> navigated the boundary issue over time. But um, just any thoughts that you have on maybe what has helped you over the years um, sure. being able to develop those boundaries in a meaningful way? Sure. For one, I, I'll lead with the two organizations that I've worked for during Lewis's life, one, the Atlas Performing Arts Center for four years, and then American University for the last, I guess, uh, six, seven years, have been just incredibly supportive environments. Uh, my supervisors, the lead of the organization, the board members, I mean, it's uh, both organizations really valued family life and understood the need for that balance. So I start there that I've been very fortunate. And in terms of my own creating balance, I would say it's different week to week, uh, season to season. You know, for example, when Lewis was younger, I would shift my hours a bit where 
I had many performances that I would work at in the evenings or simply wanted to go to in the evenings. And I would pick him up early from his nanny share, come home, have you know, quality time with him, feed him, bathe him, and then head back to the performing arts center and stay until midnight and then start over again. <laughs> so, you know, it was a lot of this was by the boundaries. I had to really just create myself um, and be just more brutally honest with myself as far as my valuing family life while also being deeply engaged in my work. And so, I don't know, I guess it's a, a conversation I have with myself each week, each day, but I, I'm always looking for ways to how do I carve out the next, say, 15 hours, uh, my waking hours to create that balance. Yeah. And I think so many working parents do what is referred to as the split shift. We work and then we go take care of kids and bed bath and all that stuff and then go back to work. And in your case, you were literally physically going back uh, to performances and whatnot. Pradnya, do you want to weigh in at all on this uh, boundary setting, which integrating your work into your life, but then also wanting to separate those two things from time to time? Well, so I've tried for many, many years to I've said this out loud. I've said it to my staff, which is that there's no such thing as a fundraising emergency. Yeah. Having said that, (laughs) you know, I want to go back to something Kara said, which is it's hard not to feel that everything is an emergency when you are, are working on behalf of whatever constituency your organization supports. Right. So, you know, that's just something that I've always just tried to be mindful of for myself. Then the other thing is, I should say, I'm very lucky as well, but in a different way, which is that for the last eight years, my husband has been the stay-at-home parent. Mm -hmm. And so we have an unusual, relatively unusual dynamic, I guess, which is that he is the primary caregiver. He manages, you know, most of the things at home. And conversely, my kids know that when I'm at work, I'm at work. Meaning if they see me, like, especially during COVID, right? If they see me in my office on the computer, they respect that boundary. Mm -hmm. But my commitment to them is when the computer is shut off, you know, when I put my phone down, that time is theirs. And I try very hard. And it took me a long time to develop the muscle memory to do this, but really to stop looking at my phone, stop worrying about what's happening in the email and dividing that time successfully. Yeah, I agree that it takes time to develop these skills. I think, you know, I've definitely gotten better at it over the decade of parenting, but it's something that I think you just have to keep practicing daily for sure. Well, and I I found, I find too, as we sort of slowly emerge from COVID, you know, it's funny thinking about boundaries, just been just reflecting on it. I have boundaries, I would say, set between myself and work to ensure family life, but my boundaries, I think with my son, I'm not as... um, I think disciplined as probably, and I, sh- I should have been during the pandemic. I think uh, I always open the door a little too often to interruptions in conversation with Lewis during the day while he was working at home. That you know, oftentimes it was you know the second and third and maybe even a fourth shift later in the evening, uh, especially this year. Yeah, totally hard not to. <laughs> Not to have to manage those interruptions throughout yeah, the day. Yeah. Yeah, and even, uh, you know, during COVID, I would see our boys not even ask. They would just open the door and I would be on a <laughs> Zoom and they're like, I need snack or, you know, whatever. <laughs> so They got a, ch- a chance to meet a number of your clients. Yes. yes. So, um, 
Yes. So boundaries, uh, I think, uh, during COVID had, took on a whole new meaning. But yeah, I was going to say, I think we want you to rewind now and go back to the time when your cherubs were much smaller. <laughs> so, Pranya, what workplace supports did you find particularly helpful as you became a working parent? You know, I'll be honest, it was a strange scenario that when my kids were very small, when they were born, I was in Boston working at the children's hospital there. And there were supports I would have wished for. I would have wished for better, you know, a more extensive maternity leave policy, for example. I would have wished for an understand, like a support in balancing home and work. And by that, I mean, I had this strange experience where one of my managers assumed for me what I was willing to take on or not take on because I was a new mother. That is not, well, I'd say it's, it may feel strange, but it's really common. Is it? I mean, I, you know, yeah. I, I had the opportunity yeah. to take a trip to San Francisco for a major conference and it was decided for me that I wouldn't want to leave the baby so soon. Yes, that is a sadly very frequent experience. Um, I developed this mindful return training program for managers. And probably one of the key themes in that is stop making assumptions about anything. <laughs> Ask the person, talk to the person because every person's situation is going to be very different. It's often you know, referred to as benevolent flexibility or whatever, but it's not really so benevolent when it comes to managing your career. Right, exactly. And yes, you're right. It was meant to be benevolent. I acknowledge that. And I went on the trip, I went to San Francisco and did every molecule of my being miss the baby? Absolutely. But it was the right thing to do. And as I said, I was very lucky, you know, she was at home with her dad. Mm -hmm. How about you, Kara? What workplace supports did you find particularly helpful as you became a working parent? It's interesting. I think when Lewis was young, uh, you know, when ages one to two, this is when I was working at the Atlas Performing Arts Center, which is very small arts organization, very small, limited staff. Uh, the development office was myself. Uh, and then a couple of years in, I did hire someone. Uh, so it did feel a little more expansive at that point, but it was the supports themselves, I think just really came through culturally and that there was an, an embrace of people's family lives. And just in general, like the individual support of colleagues and my the lead of the organization, as well as the board members who I became very close with. So there were not, I think, formal supports necessarily in place there, but I created the supports out more so outside of the organization in order for the full arrangement to work and for everyone, myself and our family to thrive. So the formal supports were more limited at the smaller organization. And at AU, on the other hand, there are more tangible supports that are available to families, such as there's a child care center at AU, which I have not taken, did not take advantage of. Um, oh, wow. But there is a child care center there. There's just, in general, just the broader structure, I think just because it's a larger organization and also a larger staff, I have more staff members that I can rely upon. If something comes up, I know my work will still go forward. It's not fully dependent on my actions. So it's a different level of support there. But really, I still go back to it was... It was the individuals and the, the overall culture. I feel like that has made me feel supportive in my last, you know, my 10 years as a working mom. Well, Kara addresses the clanging. Let me also okay. you know, chime in here and say, I have to wonder in general about 
supports for parents in nonprofit institutions mm. versus for-profit institutions. I feel, and this is just my perspective, but I feel like in general, there isn't the, the external pressure in the nonprofit space to offer supports to parents in the way that one is seeing large companies or, or even, you know, small business offer. And I, again, it comes back, I feel to this thing of, it's the flip side of the coin of being mission-based that the level of commitment to people in nonprofit organizations, from people in nonprofit organizations is so, so strong that it's part of the suffering's not the right word, but it's part of the, the things that we are willing to give up to mm-hmm. be in a mission-based organization. That's the perception. Right. And do you think there's anything that would move the needle or push it in a direction of maybe viewing, I don't know, the well-being of the employee workforce within the nonprofit sector as part of that mission? I think that it slowly will shift over time. I think it's a generational issue. Mm-hmm. You know, Kara and I are both around the same age or we're professionally speaking of the same generation. Mm-hmm. And I think that younger men and women who are coming up now in the field are demanding more than we felt comfortable doing. I don't want to speak for Kara, but mm-hmm. I think, you know, this is what I've observed more broadly. And the industry and the, the fundraising vertical for sure is going to lose really smart people if nonprofits of all sizes don't start thinking about what supports to offer for young parents. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely a competitive recruiting tool in a lot of the for-profit yeah. sector. Exactly. And you know, my wish for the nonprofit sector is to pay attention to that mm-hmm. and to understand that if there's a there's always that that push-pull right around salary and benefits in the nonprofit space, but offering competitive offering, you know, leave, maternity leave, all of the things that for-profits are starting to do could really be attractive. Yes. And there are things that are very meaningful to new parents that don't cost a lot of money. Yes. You know, thinking of ramp yes. up and ramp down policies, for example, where the person's going to be ramping up and ramping down anyway. So declare to the world that you're paying for them to do so, you know? hundred uh, percent. The thing- program that I run is you know, $199 a person. And for, for many nonprofits, it is like a very affordable type of tool mm-hmm. that provides an outsized impact. You know, training managers on how to interact with their employees is something that's relatively low budget and yet, you know, can really make a, a huge impact. Kara, go ahead. Uh, no, I was just, just to, to echo that, I, you know, I do think this is part of this larger suite of, you know, more quality pay, quality benefits, quality, quality supports. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they all go hand in hand. I think it's just the overall, you know, I would say in the last decade or two, there's just this greater professionalization of nonprofits. And I think, you know, that expectation that you are all in all the time, uh, simply because you're a mission-based organization is becoming less the case. I mean, I think there's just in general, I think a greater understanding. So I think we're, we're in a, in a good, good moment, mm-hmm. in, I think in the nonprofit field in general. Yeah. And now for a quick note from our sponsor. This episode of the Parents at Work podcast is brought to you by Mindful Return, an employee benefit designed to support new parents through the transition back to work after parental leave. Hi, I'm Lori Mahalik-Levin, 
CEO and founder of Mindful Return. When I went back to work after maternity leave, twice, after having two sons about two years apart, I realized that I could take a course on any baby-related subject under the sun, from making a birth plan, to pumping milk, to even pureeing baby food. But I could not find any resources to help me, a grown-up, navigate the personal and professional identity transition into working parenthood. I created Mindful Return to fill this gap. Employers, Mindful Return is a four-week online group-based course that's both really affordable and really effective. Our employee retention statistics among our course alumni are off the charts. Head over to mindfulreturn.com and click on four employers in the navigation tab to learn more about bringing our programs for working parents to your workplace. 75 employers already offer Mindful Return as a parental leave benefit, and we'd love to give you a quick behind-the-scenes tour of our courses. Again, head over to mindfulreturn.com and click on four employers to get in touch. Now back to our episode. Let's stick with the be, you know, the, the moment in the nonprofit world. And my question next is what changes do you think are happening in the fundraising field in general that you think might affect working parents or be affecting working parents, even if it's not specific to working parenthood? And Pradnya, feel free to take that one first. Oh, sure. Absolutely. So that's a great question. I think that, again, it comes back to the generational shift of wealth. You know, Kara, you may see this a little bit differently given your work in plan giving, but for me at code.org and some of the other organizations I've worked at, the donors are getting younger. The board members are getting younger as well. And the generational transfer of wealth from what are now the grandparents and even the great-grandparents to the younger members of families and the next generation, it's also shifting the influence. You know, Kara's mentioned board members now a couple of times, and she's absolutely right. They are in a position to help organizations grow, shift mentality, think about new ways of doing things. Code.org is a great example of this. Uh, We behave, it's been new for me, Code.org behaves much more like a tech startup than a nonprofit. And so our board is is very keenly supportive of new and, and untried but innovative ideas. So things like, and Kara, you'll be shocked to hear this when we consider year-end giving, but our organization shuts down for two weeks at the end of December, just full-on shuts down. Everyone gets a break, paid, which is enormously important for the parents among our employees, right? Two whole weeks with your kids, uninterrupted, not taken from your vacation time and paid at full salary. That's amazing. It is amazing. And and that's exactly the kind of benefits that I wish more organizations would embrace. And so to your question, Laurie, I think that revenue, philanthropy, these are all opportunities for positive influence within organizations. And as the makeup of donors change and board and high-level volunteers change, my hope is that that will also be a positive influence on how nonprofits organize themselves and commit themselves to things like work-life balance. Mm. I love that shift to the next generation and their perspectives. Kara, how about you? Well, I I love Pranya's response. And it it, it is funny. I I do tend to work with 
the older generation uh, in my work in planned giving. But I, I guess I still sort of go back to, I think there's just this broader understanding and movement that the nonprofit industry needs to, again, function and offer the supports comparable to the corporate world, or, or they will start to lose, uh, lose talent. There's a lot of turnover in general in fundraising, I think, especially in frontline fundraising roles. And I think to retain talent and to have longevity is these supports that will make that possible. And just, you know, the example of having uh, the week, two weeks at the end of the year, going into the new year off and paid, that is also something that I've benefited from, from both organizations at the Atlas Performing Arts Center, as well as American University. And I think that in and of itself is a real statement about one, the, the understanding that the work can be done prior to that, that leave, that break, and how necessary that break is in order to create quality work when you return. I love this conversation and I love how you're talking about your own evolution as a parent and where that intersects with what the nonprofit community has offered you. I want to bring out a little bit more of the career coach in me. Both of you are successful fundraisers. Uh, Two-part question. So what do you think has made you a great fundraiser? And then secondly, in becoming a parent, how has that made you a better fundraiser? Whoever wants to go first. Sure. Well, I, I feel like I have maybe the same answer to both questions, which is I can be, or I am brutally focused on the highest return activities and in fundraising, being a frontline fundraiser that is always all day long, the donor of contact and relationship building and solicits. So I find when I organize my day, it's, const- it's always going back to how many people have I reached out to how many meaningful conversations have I had and have those conversations, you know, moved or relationship forward in, in positive ways that this is their alumni, the donor is more deeply engaged in the organization. They have new insight in the organization. They've experienced the organization in a way that may hopefully lead to their continued or increased giving. So, you know, this is something that I've built my career on. And sometimes those administrative functions can, um, go a little haywire and I'm doing those things on the weekends, but I just really orient my day around that donor interaction and that connection. And that it happens to be also something that just creates uh, the greatest motivation in me as far as my quality of work and my own passion for the work is the more that I'm speaking to those who care and support and uh, love the organization I work for, the more that drives me to do this work. So it's sort of one and the same. So I, I do these, there's so there's much of my work that gets left to the wayside, but it's really, this is the, these are the functions that create the highest return, which you know, essentially is the most uh, closed gifts. <laughs> so. Absolutely, Kara. You know, I listen to you and I feel like we're wired exactly the same way. <laughs> it is absolutely about the metrics, the securing of gifts, the building of relationships, I'll answer the second part of the question, Lori, which is, you know, how has having kids helped me be successful? And if it's anything, it's helped me to be not so, you know, I'm still type A, I'm still as driven as I ever was, but having kids has helped me not take myself so seriously. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I mean, I I remember very clearly the first time I showed up to a donor meeting with, I don't know, what must've been baby formula or goodness knows what it was, you know, on my shirt. Mm -hmm. Um, and the donor's looking at me and notices and I notice, and we both had a good laugh over it. And in that moment, it wasn't so much 
fundraising professional and potential donor. It was two humans laughing over a thing. (laughs) And I found that that's actually better for me in my professional path as I have conversations, as I look to close gifts and engage donors. It's just so much easier to be myself. And that's what my kids taught me, which I really, I'm grateful to them for. You know, I, I think I said to you guys early on, when you look at my LinkedIn profile or you look at, you know, how I inhabit the social media space, my title is actually Penguin and Panda Wrangler. <laughs> and it's right out there on my LinkedIn profile or my, you know, and it's because that's how I'm okay at this stage of my career and my life and my parenthood, that that's how people in the professional space view me as well. And ultimately, strange to say, it has actually helped me be more successful. And I would agree with that, that, you know, the fundraisers and, you know, peers that I admire the most are those that through their work, they are deeply authentic. And I think, you know, inviting who you are and your family life into the conversation with donors, sometimes intentionally and inadvertently, you know, I Mm -hmm. think of being on a couple of donor calls this year during a music class where the recording <laughs> recorder was playing in the background while I was trying to have a donor visit. Uh, that became, that was a high level of authenticity, but uh, uh, in terms of my home life, but I have found like, you know, the greatest relationships that I've formed and as a result, great gifts that I've helped raise uh, for the institutions I work for, uh, they came because of, of forging a, a, a true and authentic relationship. And, um, and I think that definitely, I think having kids, having Lewis, that has been a, a big part of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, that's the, if I could point to one silver lining, a professional silver lining of mm-hmm. the pandemic, it is that when you start every conversation with, you know, forgive me, there's going to be barking <laughs> dogs and screaming children. And I'm just going to say that right now. And, you know, the, whoever you're talking to says, oh, same here. <laughs> right. That's a conversation that never would have happened. An opener that never would have happened in an uptight, you know, coffee shop in downtown DC. (laughs) Yes. There's so much talk these days about the opportunity to be authentic and be who you are and show up as who you are in your workplace. And it sounds like um, parenthood has really provided a channel for both of you in that regard. Yeah. I love the conversation around both authenticity and humility. (laughs) Humility is a big one with a capital. Oh, yes. The amount of times that both of my children have vomited on me or, you know, done, you know, when they were younger. uh, Yeah. Yes. So you um, you really uh, do learn to not take yourself that seriously. So final set of questions for both of you. And we'll start with Kara. Uh, What's your number one best piece of advice for navigating life as a working parent, your number one book and your number one piece of technology? Sure. Well, my, best piece of advice comes from my mom. She didn't really give me this advice. I just observed this in how she uh, raised uh, nine children. I'm the youngest of nine in my family. She uh, would wake up in the wee hours of the morning. If I recall, even as early as 3.30 or four o'clock in the morning, which that's not is the that, advice. Is that still is that still night? I don't know. That is really <laughs> there's some serious uh, REM usually happening at three thirty. But yeah. she did wake up at this very early hours, which of course, as a teenager, I thought was ridiculous, and I'm sure I vocalized that to her. But as soon as Lewis was born, I realized that that was 
my opportunity for time, my opportunity to be more of a, a full human, separate from work, separate from my family, separate from my roles as fundraiser, mother, spouse. So I too, and it keeps getting earlier and earlier. It started at 5.30, now it's 5, now it's 4.45, but those are finding time. I choose to have this early morning time for myself, uh, for some reading or exercise or some meditation. But that I think for me, starting my day that way um, grounds me in my work, grounds me in my, my family life. But I know some people might grab that at night, but I go to bed very early. So that's my, my piece of advice, finding some time in the day where it can be purely yours or on the weekend. Uh, let's see, number one book. So I'm going to name a resource more than a book, <laughs> but uh, this is a local organization that I love called uh, Positive Encouragement Parenting, otherwise known as PEP, uh, to many parents who've gone through their programs. It's a, conceivably, it's a, it's a parent education organization on raising children, relating to children, but, and they have been amazing for our, our family life, but they are also have great application in the workplace and work relationships, colleagues has great application, even in my uh, spousal relationship with Dave and our marriage life. They're just incredible tools. And what's nice is they are based here in DC. You can go in, well, there was a moment which you could go in person to take classes, but they also have several webinars, uh, one-off sort of book discussions. Uh, it's just a tremendous resource and it's uh, saved me and I rely on those tools all the time, all the time. Thank you. Well, Karen. I'm writing all that down, Kara. <laughs> so you know. It'll, it will all be in the show notes. Don't worry. <laughs> Was there any piece of technology you wanted to give a shout out to, Kara? Piece of technology. So it's funny because in, and I feel like we've talked about this, Laurie and Jason, in recent years, I have um, lightened my touch on technology. Uh, I'll say I, I am not on social media. I am, I just barely use my phone. I've just, um, I have found that my life is richer when I'm less engaged in technology and more engaged in the book in hand. Um, and that just serves me better. So I don't know, that's a very narrow view of, of quote technology and you know, probably I'm sure you're going to school me on things to uh, integrate <laughs> more technology into my life. But actually, you know what, maybe my, this is very low-fi technology, but between uh, Dave and me, our electronic Outlook calendars, we send meeting requests for everything under the sun. We maintain one calendar on our work calendars from who's doing pickup, who's doing drop-off, who's, I mean, the whole, all of my personal life is on my work calendar for every single shared function that we have. So yeah, I, I love that. Kara, I also have to say that you are actually personally responsible for one of my favorite pieces of technology, which is the Bose wireless headphones oh, that yes. I have now used to, you know, listen to my podcast while I'm washing dishes or walking around the track over at the elementary school. And that I definitely got inspiration from you. So, you know, don't disappoint okay. yourself. On okay. This. Okay, good. I'll take credit for it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, with that, you know, if I will address your questions in the opposite direction. So, you know, yes, Kara, I, I you know, I work for a, a ed tech nonprofit. So, you know, I'd be the last person to say that I am not surrounded by technology day in and day out. But for me, similarly, actually, to what you described, it is my, my phone, my apps, my engagement with technology that helps me get through 
the balance of personal life and, and home life. And much like you use Outlook, we use Google calendars. So the kids have their own calendars, which is integrated with my cal- my work calendar and our family calendar and my husband's calendar. And somehow it all works. But the app that I like that I would, I would recommend to other parents is Microsoft um, To Do. And why that's a little bit different is that you can share task lists with your spouse, with your kids, you know, whatever it is, and we use it for everything from our vacation planning to um, we keep a list of what's in our freezer so that we don't accidentally leave something in there for months at a time to get freezer burn. So, you know, a lot of cross use functionality. And in terms of a book that I would recommend, it's not a book per se, but a general recommendation, which is you know, give yourself the chance to read some brain candy. <laughs> you know, the, again, coming back to the technology, I'm a bibliophile. I have, I have books all over the house, but on my phone are the books that I wouldn't want to admit to anybody that I read. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, that's a, it's a moment in time every day. It's like what you were saying, Kara, about finding that time for yourself. For me, it's that little bit of brain candy before I, I go to bed And it just lets me shut my brain off for a little while from both the work and the commitments and the pressures of parenthood and and home life. And in general, uh, you know, jumping off from that, the advice that I would give is, and it's hard to do, but, you know, as parents in the workplace, as people in the workplace who are parents, give yourself permission to embrace both and carve out that separation if you can. It's like I was saying before, you know, when, when I'm at work, I'm at work. When I'm at home, I'm at home. And it's, and it's difficult to do that. And it takes practice to do that. But what I also find then is that I don't feel like I'm shortchanging either one. And it's not a perfect practice, believe me. I, I've, I trip up all the time. But it's in having that, giving oneself permission to love work as much as you love your home life and vice versa has been an important mindset for me. Beautiful. And definitely the uh, definition of mindfulness, right? Being where you are when you're there. Exactly. This has been such a wonderful and rich and fascinating conversation. And I mean, I just feel like I love doing these podcast interviews because I learn so much and I feel like I get to connect with other working parents in such meaningful ways. Jason, anything you want to conclude with? I want to thank you both. Um, I have a richer understanding of what it's like to be a fundraiser. (laughs) Well, ironically, it's not about asking people for money. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's what's happening right now. Connection, relationships. That's I'm right. Sold. <laughs> I'm sold. Excellent. Well, thank you, Kara. Thank you, Pranya, for joining us today. To those who are listening, stay tuned because our next episode will be a conversation with dads, working dads in the fundraising field. So we'll, we'll send that over to you too as well, Kara and Pradya. Good. Oh, I'm definitely fascinated to hear that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if you liked the Parents at Work podcast, you like this episode, please uh, reach out and share it with one friend. Hop over to those places where you uh, downloaded it and leave us a quick review. We would really appreciate that. And we're really uh, excited to keep getting the message out that working parents make amazing employees and have amazing careers. And yes, we can excel in both worlds. So thanks so much for joining us today, everybody. Stay tuned for next time.